Vernon Green is a retired chief warrant officer in the United States Army. Currently, he, his wife, and three daughters are residents of Virginia with an established presence in New York and the DMV area. Maintaining his passion of serving God and people, Vernon established G-Cubed Enterprises in 2014. Not long after that, G3 Community Services, a nonprofit providing services and support to people in his community, was also established. Vernon has a reputation as a passionate, knowledgeable, and highly capable technical expert in his field. He brings his personal high standards to everything he does and challenges those around him to establish goals and implement measures to attain them. Mr. Green has a plethora of degrees and awards. His capstone accomplishments and distinctions are a master's degree in cybersecurity, the Legion of Merit, and the Bronze Star. But most importantly, Mr. Vernon Green is becoming disciplined. Well, today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Mr. Vernon Green. Mr. Green, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. We are so honored to have you. Thank you so much for having me, sir. Uh, Mr. Green, before you educate us and share the end of your story or, or your story so far, I think it's good for my audience to be aware of your context, the beginning of your story. Where did you grow up? Uh, yeah, so um, humble beginnings. I'm from Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, it's a... Uh, I, I think it's number 11 on the worst cities to live in the United States. And that um, that's a real quote, um, but very humble beginnings. Graduated from Poughkeepsie High School, barely. Um, wind up going into the military. Um, um, I, I, I wind up having a lot of difficult challenges at the beginning, but those difficult challenges definitely helped shape uh, where I was trying to go. Okay. Now, what was your child like, your childhood like in Poughkeepsie? So, um, you know, everybody has a, a, a hard story, a tough story. And so I don't, I don't say that my story is any harder or better or worse than anyone else's. You know, um, my dad was in and out of jail. He was in the streets. You know, my mom did all she could to take care of us, working multiple jobs. We lived with grandma, spent a lot of time. I'm, I'm the oldest of four siblings. So um, I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, look after my siblings. Um, um, uh, my mom, she, she worked hard. She, uh, she did her best. And so, but growing up was, you know, most of us, we, we, we lacked, but we were appreciative for what we had. Now, when did you discover that you were an entrepreneur? You know, what's crazy about that? I never did discover that I was an entrepreneur. I will tell you that, um, I, I kept, I have a a, a a desire to be the best at whatever I do. I it's it's just it's an innate thing that when I realized working hard was the answer to getting out of my difficult situations, I just started working hard at everything I choose to do. And so in the military, um, went through the military, ascended the enlisted ranks, switched over to warrant officer. Um, just kept trying to learn as much as I could, master that, and then go on to the next thing. So when I got out of the military and I went into the workforce for the very first time in 20 plus years, uh, one of the things that I noticed was um, that culture that we had in the military, that camaraderie, that mission focusedness, fo fo that mission focusedness, focusedness, 
excuse me. Um, and the, 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 um, uh, the camaraderie. Uh, we didn't have, I didn't see that in the small businesses where I was uh, getting looked at or considered. And so um, after a very short time, I retired on March 31st of 2014. I started the company April 24th of the same year. Um, and our company values are this seven army values, uh, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And those values are not just words. We use those values in order to create a culture um, uh, within the company that really reminds me of our team building and our mission focused culture that I had in the military. Um, so I, I to answer your question, I think entrepreneurship came out of a mandate for leadership rather than um, ingenuity or creating something new. It just had to do with the fact that leadership is so important to me. Um, and I believe that all missions live and die with good leadership or live and die with leadership. Um, I, I think that that's how I wind up becoming a CEO and leading an organization. Mm, powerful, powerful. Now, um, with that being made, I mean, with that being said, would you, you know, I, I think I know the answer based on that, on that pretext, but I, I, I never like to assume, do you think entrepreneurs are made or born? You know, I've actually had this question asked to me many times, and, I, and I've argued on both sides of this question. Um, my personal belief is that uh, there are some core things in people that, that drive them, that push them. It, it, it's, there's something inside some people that just, they stand out. You, you look at a, a two-year-old or a four-year-old, and you're like, man, he has some leadership qualities, or there, there's something about him. Now, so I believe that leaders are, are born leaders, but I also believe that tactics and teaching and, and, and best practices and things like that are things that can be taught to not only improve those leaders, but to help people that may not have that natural leadership ability to improve on their leadership ability. So I believe that there are natural born leaders. And then I also believe that there are some leaders that took the the a little bit more challenging route to learn, to hone, to practice, um, and to execute a strategy to be a, a um, an important and impactful leader. Powerful, powerful. Good stuff, good stuff. Sometimes I scratch my head because some of the people that I view as natural born leaders, I see them leading people in bad directions. So, uh, so. Now that's the crazy you know, part. You're exactly right. Yeah. Leadership is not necessarily the direction. It is the art of inspiring someone to follow you. And that doesn't mean that you're follow they're following you in the right direction. I mean, the Mansons, look, look at all the people who, who led cults and things like that. They have leadership. That's why people are following them. But it doesn't mean that they have the the. Um, the brains, the 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 makeup to 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 be that leader that's going to take people to improve themselves, to do great things, to inspire, and and all of that. It, it's I believe that it's two different things. Now, your competitiveness did it lead you at an early age? Did it lead you into sports, or did it lead you into academics? Where did your competitiveness lead you? So it, uh, another interesting question. I, I always wanted to play sports. I really did. I, I, I had a child at a young age. 
Um, and so I've had a job ever since I can remember. Um, even before I had working papers, I was doing little odds and end jobs. So I, I never really had time to, uh, to play sports. Um, and in my free time, you know, in New York, a basketball court, you can't walk by a basketball court without playing. So, so we played a lot of street ball, had a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. Um, but I, I never had the opportunity to get into organized sports. Um, it, it, it just didn't fit in with what I had going on, taking care of a child, trying to improve myself to get opportunities for school and, and, and things like that. So, um, so no, I didn't get to play. But uh, the competitive nature actually just comes from I, I'm not trying to compete with anybody else. I'm trying to compete with myself. I'm trying to be better today than I was yesterday. I'm trying to have more knowledge now than I had the day before. I'm trying to accomplish more every step forward that I take. And so and it's not that I want to compete with anybody out there, not another company, not another CEO, because I'm hoping that they're doing the exact same thing, trying to be better today than they were yesterday. Um, and, and I encourage and, and support anyone who has that type of mentality that is trying to improve. Very good, very good. Now, uh, when you were a child, was there someone who inspired you with their level of discipline? Who was someone that lit a fire for you as a, as a child? So, interestingly enough, um, I, I like to tell people, I, I do a lot of mentorship, and, and I tell people that regardless if you're, um, if you know it or not, you are always teaching. You're either teaching what to do or what not to do, but you're always teaching something, and someone is always watching. So I, I don't think I had very many good examples of positive, of discipline, of, 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 of good. I had a lot of examples of bad, a lot of examples of what not to do. And so for me, um, it comes to another pivotal conversation that I tell people, we always have a choice. And so it was a choice not to continue doing what I saw failing in front of me, choosing to go another way, choosing to take another path. And so, uh, and this goes back to what I said earlier about everyone having a hard time or a sad story. Okay, but choose something better. Choose something better for you. Choose something better for your future. Choose something better. And so, um, the 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 one thing I will give extreme credit to is uh, my mom. My mother, uh, trying to take care of all of us, she worked constantly. She she worked all the time. And and one of the things that I've learned as a parent myself is that work ethic. Uh, I believe I got from my mom. But the same thing that I that I longed for when my mom was always working and she was gone and she wasn't with me, I find myself sometimes repeating that same effort with my kids because I'm always working. I'm always doing something. So finding that time, forcing that time, being disciplined about taking that time to spend with my kids is another thing that is very important to me. That's good. That's good. There's no sense in. Becoming rich and powerful if the family falls apart. Uh, you know, that's the family is the future. Um, now, what made you join the Army of all, of, of all the services? What led you to the Army? So um, when I was in high school, I did not think that I was going to uh, qualify to go to um, college. I did not have many people seeking after me. My grades weren't the best. Um, I was actually kicked out of school for uh, fighting for several years. 
Um, I, I got kicked out in the seventh grade and went back to school in the middle of my 10th grade year. And um, I graduated on time, but I just didn't have a lot of options. Um, and then I actually, I only applied to one college and, and I sent them a letter and the letter said, um, no, my grades don't look great. No, I don't have a lot, but just give me an opportunity and, and I'll make you proud. Um, I got accepted into that college, uh, Marist College. I lasted one semester and flunked out because although they were good words, I didn't mean them when I said them. I wasn't mature enough to handle them and I, I flunked out. After flunking out, I wind up um, talking to a recruiter at one point, and, and I remember everyone around me saying, why in the world would you go in the military? Don't do this. Don't do this. Um, but the way I saw it, I had a child. Um, I had a young wife, and, and I needed to do something to take care of them and potentially change my dynamic, change my environment, just get the heck out of what I was in. And so going into the Army... I attribute to one of the uh, smartest decisions I ever made. Um, the Army is where I would say was the beginning of teaching me discipline, teaching me structure, um, giving me some of those positive habits that I needed in order to build a foundation of success. Um, so, so the Army, um, is it, it was a lifesaver for me. Okay. Now, um, for and, and I always like to talk target who, you know, who, who are we trying to target with this wisdom? Uh, the person I'm trying to target with some wisdom right now is the young army uh, person who just, who, who they're either getting out after six years or they're getting out after 20 years. They're getting out of the service. They're about to start their business. Um, you mentioned uh, moving over all of your, your core values from the army to your, your organization, but can you think of, of one habit or practice that the military instilled in you that made you a better CEO? What, can you think of one that they could really kind of focus on? I would probably say one of the things that the military does extremely well is um, practice how you fight um, and fight how you practice. And so one of the things that's critical to me in my day-to-day -day, uh, activities is um, setting up a plan for my day. So when I get up in the morning, one of the first things that I do is, um, and this is, okay, after I get up early, you know, that's another thing the military taught me. I work out uh, almost every morning, five days a week. That's another thing the military taught me. After I get that done, and, and this is to give you early successes in the day, get those endorphins flowing, get your mind right. And then what I do is I sit down and start my list and I create my list of what I have to get accomplished that day. And every day um, I start that list by going to my previous day's list and seeing what I didn't get accomplished the day before. So I carry those things over to the next day, add the new things that I need to do for that day, and then check them off as I get them done on a daily basis. That keeps a track record. It keeps me accountable. It gives me a written documentation of what I've been doing, how have I allocated my time, what's going on, what's getting done, and what's not getting done. And that I learned through military planning uh, for field operations and things like that. So um, it is one of the things that I continue to do to this day. Um, my checklist, my daily checklist is critical to how I do business every day. Okay. Now, this may seem like a trivial question, but sometimes uh, 
the devil's in the details or greatness is in the details. Do you use an electronic planner to record your plans for the day or do you use a paper planner? I'm one of those people that I still keep my notebook. My okay. notebook is right here. I write it down. If there's something about writing it that it, 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 I don't know if it's an ownership or a absorption or a, a, a adoption of it, but writing it out for me is it, it, it means something. And, and so um, it's the same. I do the same thing at the beginning of each year. Everyone has New Year's resolutions. They have all this stuff. Well, right at the beginning of my notebook, what I do every year, I don't know if you can see this, is I write out my goals for the year. So not only am I doing it on a daily basis, but I'm writing out personal, uh, professional, um, all these things. What am I trying to do for the year? And so another key is if what you're doing on a daily basis is not supporting one of the goals you wrote down for the year, then you need to reevaluate. What I have, what I'm doing daily needs to support those goals that I set for myself for the year. Very good. Very good. Very good. Uh, now, by the end of five years, the U.S. Department of Labor says that 50 percent of all businesses fail. You have already defeated those odds. What uh, for the young entrepreneur who is just starting their business and they're putting their business plan together and their hopes and dreams are big and they, you know, they're they're excited. What advice can we give that person so that they right side of those odds like GQ has been? Absolutely. Um, and I, I'm very aware of that. I've actually studied some of those numbers, um, uh, business failures and percentages. Um, like I said earlier, I believe that um, missions live and die with leadership. Um, the example you set, the culture you set, the work ethic you set, the excellence you set as a standard is what's going to permeate through your organization. So be the example that you are trying to set for your organization. It, it just, it means everything. And in my, in my team, just like on my military units, my squad, my platoon, uh, we were, we're tight and, and, and we're mission focused. And, and so everyone is committed to accomplishing the mission. I tell people that my leadership style is like an inverted pyramid. And so I am at the point of the pyramid and then I have my middle managers and then I have all of the employees and it is my job to provide the middle managers everything they need to support all of the employees and the employees accomplish the mission. So that is our, my leadership style and that is my leadership philosophy. So to you young entrepreneurs, um, work on cultivating good habits, work on best business practices, work on establishing a standard and holding that standard. Accountability means everything. I'll tell you that um, one other thing, a side note, your, the strength of your business is the strength of your network. How many people do you know that do what you do or can do what you do or can give you an opportunity or are in decision-making positions, you need to make sure that your network is big enough and strong enough to support what you're trying to do. I've had people walk in and tell me that they want to do this, but they don't know anyone. Don't They, don't, they have no idea who to talk to. They, they, they don't know. And so within my military days, all the people that I served with over, over the, my 20 years in the military, those people have either 
got promoted in the military to be decision makers, or they got out and went into leadership positions and companies. And that is my network. So when I reach out to my network, I'm reaching out to capable entrepreneurs, capable leaders, people who have done great things. And that's my peer group. So the the strength of your company is going to depend on the strength of your network. Now, was your MOS in the in the army? Was it also uh, computer technology? Yeah, so it, funny. I, I started out as a um, a uh, communication specialist, uh, thirty one uniform. I transitioned to a, a, a thirty one fox, which was a network specialist. Um, I switched over. I'm so sorry. I started as a, 20, a, a 31 uniform, which is communication specialist radios, moved over to, um, to to Fox, which was the switching and networking, um, became a, a, a whiskey, uh, which was an E7 within um, IT. So 31 whiskey um, turned to 25 whiskey, just renamed. And then I went warrant officer at my 12 year mark. Um, and finished out as a CW3. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I uh, I carried one of those radios for for one for one quick deployment, and that was about it. it got me a it got me an AAM, so uh, <laughs> I got an award out of it. But uh, that was that was about it for me. I'm gonna tell you that radio was no joke. It was, <laughs> I started out as the radio person for my um, my infantry uh, commander. And I'm carrying all my gear plus the radio and got to stay right on his hip everywhere he goes so that he can use the radio. So it was definitely you stayed in shape. You you, you definitely got it in. Yeah, well, I, I was beloved. I became beloved because everyone knew that the deployment was indexed and we would get the news through the radio of when exactly. it was all over. So, uh, they love me up there in, in, in NTC when we had to go to NTC one time. Oh, yes. Oh, I did about three or four of those. I hated NTCs. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Now, uh, as an, uh, you know, after that first young, you know, that first experience at college as a young man, I believe you had a chance to go back and get your education as an as an older, more mature person. What was that that experience like? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, as I said earlier, the military gave me uh, discipline and some structure. So when I went back to school, um, I, I had a 3.97 GPA for my bachelor's degree. Um, I finished my master's degree with a 3.76 or something like that. Um, but it was because I had the structure and the discipline to, to go ahead and, and now know how to set the time aside to study. Um, I would also say that because I went to school while I was on active duty and because my field of study was also my field of profession, that there was a lot of correlation between what I did on a daily basis that fed right into my schoolwork and my assignments and my papers. And then there was stuff that I was learning in my schoolwork and my papers that I could immediately apply to my field of profession. Mm-hmm. So that made learning very um entertaining, fun. It, it, it made it great uh, because of the very fast application of what I was learning and taking my daily job and putting into uh, and writing it into my schoolwork. So I went to University of Maryland Global Campus, which used to be University of Maryland University College. Um, I still work with them. I am a mentor at that, at that college. I am a speaker and a donor for, for that college. 
because what they do for veterans and supporting veterans worldwide, regardless of where you are, getting your degree. Um, I even did classes in combat zones, things like that. So I'm a very big, um, a very big contributor back to that school because what they give to soldiers. That's good. That is good. That is so good. Um, now, uh, as Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I faced setbacks on my entrepreneurial journey. Um, how have you dealt with the setbacks or those punches in the mouth that you didn't see coming as an entrepreneur? How have you dealt with that? So um, I tell people this all the time. Your, your why, why you're doing this has to be so strong um, because there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be failures. There's going to be a lot of hardships. Um, you know, starting out, especially when you're starting out, you know, you need everything, but you have resources to buy nothing and, and trying to get through that. And, and then even worse than that is when you've had a taste of success and you start to do OK and then something happens and you fall back. And so I've I, I, earlier this year, actually, I had hit a, a point where um, we had some contracts didn't go our way and we wind up losing almost 50% of my company. And, and in doing so, um, it wasn't because we had did anything wrong. It was because COVID and contract um, changeover, it just didn't come back to us. They did consolidation and they gave it to larger companies. Um, and, and that's fine, no problem. But how we responded was one, we fell back on um, the structure and the plan that helped get us there in the first place. And that's why the planning, the strategic planning, um, the, the tactical planning, the executing of a plan, is, since we did lose that um, those uh, contracts, since then, we've gone back to what we do best, um, building the relationships, going after work. And, and we just came out on a, a list uh, last week for... Um, DIA and NGA for a $12.5 billion contract over 10 years. And so it's, it's all about staying true to who you are, doing what you're, uh, what you set yourself up and sticking to your plan, but make sure you have a plan. Now, I didn't know this when I started um, and I've learned it since then. There are various properties that make a good entrepreneur. There's marketing, uh, sales, and, and I didn't even know the difference between marketing and sales, accounting, strategy, um, creativity, technical expertises. Uh, uh, what do you consider strong points as an entrepreneur? What are your undeveloped areas? Because as I heard you say in a video that I've experienced myself, at the beginning, you have to kind of do everything. And then you, yes. you, you discover very quickly uh, what you want to hire someone for because you don't want to do it anymore. Exactly. And then, and then you also discover, hey, I, I kind of like doing this and, you know, I don't want to give this up as quickly. Uh, so what were your strong areas and what are your, your weak areas? So because I was a technician in the military, technical solutions and uh, solutioning for problems and, and things like that were my strong areas. When I started the company, I was already a pretty good um, solutions architect, a solutions person, a technical person. But I had no idea about HR. I knew nothing about a, a rap rate or I knew nothing about there were so many areas of business I knew nothing about. And so at the beginning, like we said, I had to do everything. I had to be the HR. I had to in process. I had to keep files. I had to write the checks. I had to pay the bills. I had to keep the books correct. Um, and at the same time, be out there and do the technical solutioning and, and all of that. Um, so what I what I like to tell people is, you know, uh, there's a book 
that um, I read that uh, it's called The E-Myth Revisited. And, and this book was very, very instrumental to me for a couple of reasons. Um, it, it, it says that a lot of us aren't true entrepreneurs. We have an entrepreneurial moment and we make this leap and we're truly technicians or managers. But we had this moment of entrepreneurialism. And so I find that that was me. I had a moment of entrepreneurialism, but I truly was a, a technician. And so um, what happened? I started the business. I sold my skills. I went out there and started hands on keyboards doing the work. But that's not what grew the business. It wasn't until I pulled myself out of a technician spot. It wasn't until I stopped working in the business and started working on the business that the business started to grow. So, so in becoming an entrepreneur, my vision, my focus must be forward-facing, innovative. Um, it's got to be looking to where we're going. I can hire somebody to put their hands on the keyboard and do the solutioning and the tech, the technical stuff, but it is my vision, my leadership, and the fact that my people believe in me and my vision and my mission that keeps the ship going forward. That's good. That is so good. Um, now, what role does, uh, for those who don't know it, and I guess they'll cover it, we'll cover this in the bio, uh, but what role does cybersecurity play in a disciplined life? And I know that some people might not see that connection, but I do as someone who's worked in another facet of security. It, you know, it's funny you say that because I just had to send an email out to my team this week about um, a disciplined security mindset. Um, understand that um, everyone doesn't have the best interest, your best interest, and everyone is not trying to help you. Um, we've had several scams um, coming to our corporate office, whether it's email scams, whether it's um, phishing attempts or, or, or whatever, you know, if you click on the link, you're going to download some malicious code that's going to tear up your system. Um, so I had to remind my team from a, um, a disciplined standpoint of you do not click on links from people that you don't know. I, you, have, you cannot um, open documents from people that you weren't expecting or did not know. Um, and that comes back to just having a security mindset and being disciplined about your security. And so I've had in what I've seen now where cybersecurity exploiters are getting very um, smart and targeting new and young employees. So my interns got hit and, and they say they do stuff like um, an email uh, tag scheme. So they'll tag the email so that it has my name on it. But if you hover over the email, you see that it did not come from me. It came from some Gmail account, somebody out there. But because they tag it as Vernon Green and then email my employees and say, hey, this is Vernon, I'm in a meeting, I'm, I'm a little busy right now, but I need you to run down to the store and get a couple of a credit card or a, a couple of gift cards because I need to take care of this customer. Um, I need you to hurry up and go do that for me. And for a young intern who's trying to impress their CEO, they run out and try and do it. Mm. But it was never me in the first place. And they're counting on that. Um, so you got to make sure that you have that disciplined security mindset to know that people are trying to come after you and people are trying to take your resources and people are trying to take advantage. So um, having that discipline will keep your organization more secure and keep your resources um, protected. Now, um, 
and and that and we start talking about time management, the amount of time that is is lost to those kind of incidents is is amazing. So, uh, what advice do you give to our listeners? Uh, you gave one piece of advice about not clicking on links from people uh, that you don't know, but do you do you give any advice to our listeners in order to keep their data safe? And then a bonus question: uh, Do you use because uh, I see some people advertising them? Do you use I believe it's called a VPN? When you, yes. when you go online? So, yes, VPNs are virtual private networks. And what they do is they add a level of security to protect your data while it's in transit through the Internet. Um, and, yes, we do use them. Um, the piece of advice that I would give you, besides using VPNs if you have them, and you can get a VPN to cover your whole house. They're not that expensive. I think one of the ones that I, the one that I have for my personal house, I think is $79 for the whole year, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the, the area where I want to just leave you with a, a, a tidbit um, in relation to cybersecurity, it is your social media pages and your social media activities. Um, I, I, I hate when I see those posts that say uh, stuff like, if you think you know me, what's my favorite color? Where was I born? What city was I in? And, and all this stuff. You are putting all of your personal information out there. And when you start responding to these things, people are collecting information and building a profile on you. When they're at, well, what was my first dog's name? Or what school did you grow up or did you go to first? So what, these are all the questions that come up as security questions when you set up a profile for a bank or for some account or some portal. All the information that they're asking you are the, the things that are going to be guessed when they're trying to hack your accounts. So please watch what you're putting out on social media. Understand that those types of questions that may seem harmless, they may seem like, oh, my friend is just trying to see if I know who they are. Truly, they're not even being initiated by your friends. They're being initiated by some instigator who is collecting data. So please do not participate in those type of social media activities. Okay. Now, uh, this is really a, a question more for myself and my wife than anybody else, but I think other people will benefit from it. Um, we probably 80% of my current audience is, are, you know, we have a lot of military. We have a lot of uh, GS folks that are my friends and, and supporters. Uh, but, and I'm trying to get my friends to get, and, and, and also myself, I'm trying to get us out of the employee mindset and into the ownership mindset. And, uh, you know, living in the Northern Virginia and the DC area, uh, can you help us with the necessary, what, ne what are the necessary steps needed to start a business in defense contracting? I will definitely answer that question, but I'd like to also touch on a couple of other things that you mentioned in shaping the question. Um, and, and so over the last year, we've had, um, we've had pandemics, we've had social um, unrest, We've had uh, riots, protests, all kinds of things. And, and one, of the, one of my true beliefs is that one of the reasons why we keep fighting civil rights all the time is because we have a lack of an economic power base to make changes. If you understand that politics are only run by two things, the number of votes, and we're always a minority, and money, which we don't seem to have enough of. 
So if those are the two things that run politics and politics is what shapes laws and gets us that equality, then it's all the more reason why we should be seeking out business opportunities, making as much money as we can, and then funneling that money into our communities and into our political endeavors to change the things that we don't accept, the things that we don't want. Business entrepreneurship is one of the main ways that you can take your money and make it work for what you want. We pump a lot of money back into our communities through STEM programs, education, character development, internships. We're doing all kinds of stuff to provide opportunities to those that wouldn't normally have opportunities. So if you are thinking of starting a business, do it. Start. Don't wait. There's no good time to start a business. There's no good time. Just go ahead and get it done. Start doing it now. Start making money. Start making a difference. Start providing opportunities. Get out there and make it happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. And for a lot of my friends who already have their foot in the government, uh, do you have any advice into getting into uh, defense contracting? Yes. Um, This goes back to one of the earlier questions, and that is the strength of your network. You need to find somebody in your network that has the ability that trusts you that likes you, that believes in you, and is able to give you an opportunity. That's how I got started. There was someone who asked me to take a job for them. And I asked them, instead of hiring me as an employee, why don't you hire my company and you get me anyway? I'm the only person in the company. I'm still going to do the job, but hire my company. And that's how I got my first subcontract. Um, And so that subcontract got my company started, which gave me past performance, which allowed me to start shopping my company to other opportunities. So find the person in your network that has the ability to give you an opportunity that believes in you, that knows you, that depends on the good things that you do and and start working that relationship. That's good. That's really good stuff. Now, uh, here's my my toughest and my this is the only question where I was like, oh, man. Should I ask this or should I not ask this? Because uh, this is the only one that might, might, might make you mad at me. But uh, um, my wife is African-American and we would realize in corporate America how differently she was treated in corporate America, depending on how her hair was styled. So when her hair had a European style, and this is part of the reason why, you know, I believe in entrepreneurship is, uh, you know, at least from my perspective, if you become the boss, you don't have to worry about it as much. Uh, but uh, when she had a European style hair, you know, like sometimes there were certain women and, and folks who would, oh, oh, I love it, Kim. Oh, I love your hair. And then uh, when she would wear braids or where she would wear her hair in a more natural uh, setting than, or a natural style, uh, it would be kind of like, uh, you know, like, oh, OK, well, that's, you know, and, and it was never anything that was explicit, but it was uh a lot of obvious implicit bias, at least to at least to us. And I would even say, and, and to be honest with you, I even saw it in church sometimes. Yep. Now, as a CEO, you've decided to wear your hair with a certain style, although as a person who I consider a very wise person, you're aware of the implicit bias that African-Americans face in some cases and conscious white supremacy faced in other cases, especially in corporate America. Now, was that a conscious decision or was it more of a decision like, hey, I've had to put up with this for 20 years. I'm going to be me. How did you come to this? How was that decision come about? And I hope I didn't offend you with that question. You absolutely didn't. Honestly, it's a great question. And I'm so glad you asked. Um, So 
a little bit of feedback. Um, when I was in the military, I was bald for 12 years. I was deployed all the time. I didn't see a reason to keep paying to get my hair cut when I'm just downrange all the time. So I spent four years in Iraq. I'm, I, I, I shaved my head every morning. It became a habit. Um, when I started my company, I was clean cut, um, I, I, low, low cut. One day I'm sitting in the barbershop and um, I, the news is on and it comes across the news. It says the Supreme Court upholds locks as a fireable offense in corporate America. And, and I took that, that thing happened that day and I started growing my hair that day. I, start, I made a decision that this was something that needed to be done for, for a few reasons. One, first thing I tell my young people when I mentor them, don't make the decision I made until you can stand on the repercussions of the decision that I made. I was already an established business. I was already making money. So it was a decision that I could make that I could live with the consequences. Don't think that I didn't lose some contracts, lose some friends, lose some relationships over the decision because I absolutely did. But I was at a place where I was sufficient enough and, 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 and established enough to make the decision. So when I teach young people, I tell them, if you're trying to accomplish something, you can form until you don't have to anymore. You can form until you can deal with it. But I have had people uninvite me to events. I was scheduled to go to a general's uh, promotion ceremony. And um, by name, they saw my name, no problem. When they saw my hair, they told me, I'm, I'm really sorry, um, you, you don't look um, professional enough. I've won contracts and gone to sit in front of my new customer to have them look me in my face and say, how did you get this contract? How did you win this? I've, I've, I know that for, for minorities in corporate America, it is an uphill battle. But what I'm also saying is there are enough of us doing it successfully that we can now start to set a new norm. We can set a new standard. Like, like I said earlier, set a standard, hold the standard, hold accountability. If people aren't going to work with me because of the way they think my hair is perceived, I don't want to work with them anyway. That's some really good stuff. And this is still mind blowing that folks have to deal with that. You also make me feel better because I, I was mentoring a young brother who's coming off the streets and, you know, he just uh, he's made a spiritual change in his life. And and uh, and he's trying to get it, you know, he, uh, he's trying to uh, get established and get his money right. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, and he was spending like forty dollars to kind of and I was like, I was like, you know, but, you know, you have to kind of understand, but you have to kind of, uh, you know, I understand, but you have to kind of keep in mind that there is a bite when you, when you, the way you style your hair, there is a bias. You know yeah. what I'm saying? There is a bias. And then sadly, uh, from my experience, the bias isn't even from always Europeans as well. Sometimes it can, it can be folks within, within the culture who, You're uh, exactly right. who can have that same bias. So it can be, it can be on both sides. Um, now, what traits as what traits make a good cybersecurity specialist? What 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 disciplines or what traits make someone good at cybersecurity? So, another question that I love: um, everyone is not going to agree with what I'm about to say, but I'm I, I still believe this wholeheartedly. I don't think 
that you take a cybersecurity class and become a cybersecurity person. I, I don't. I, I am one of those people that believe that cybersecurity is a culmination of a lot of other areas and then adding security to them. So because I was a network tech, because I was a coder, because I was an engineer, a system admin, because I had done all those jobs, when it was time for me to do security, I could apply security aspects across a lot of different domains. And that's what made me a, a good cybersecurity person. I knew about server hardening. I knew about network ports. I knew about tagging data across networks. I knew about a lot of different areas because of my professional career and the track that I took that I could put, apply cybersecurity across a lot of different domains. And so what I think the key to being a, a good cybersecurity professional is, is having as much experience in different areas within IT to fall back on to apply those security measures to. I've seen that firsthand. Uh uh, when I worked for the Marine Corps, we had a really good retired um, master guns who was in, you know, he was our information assurance. And uh, he ended up having to touch everything because the computers touch everything. And he had to know a little bit of everything. So I see exactly what you're saying there. Uh, now, you sometimes have to deal with pain from from prior injuries in the military or, or maybe in other areas. What advice do you have for listeners? You know, because our podcast is about discipline. What advice do you have for our listeners that are dealing with chronic pain? Yeah, that's that's uh, I, I tell people all the time. I've had three back surgeries. I have a, a few spine from um, L3 to S1. And to be honest, uh, just recently heard from a doctor again, I might have to be getting ready for another surgery. Um, mm. But if, if I'm going to give advice on this, uh, for me, pain is a constant part of my life. Uh, it is it's it's always there. But but being disciplined mentally and physically in the gym, doing things to improve yourself, um, those are things that are critical to maintaining a positive outlook. So when I get up in the morning, if my back is hurting, I do the seated bike instead of the elliptical. If, if I'm having pain in, in my legs, then I'm going to do upper body. I'm going to do something to keep my physical going in the right direction, which helps promote my mental to keep me strong in my mind when I'm going after these things. Because I'm not going to lie to you. For those of you that suffer from chronic pain, it's debilitating. It can be depressing and, and it can really take you to some bad places. And so as someone through the military was on a lot of hard drugs for a long time um, and making a decision that I, I needed to recapture my mind and not be under these heavy drugs. How can I be a CEO? How can I do the things that I have to do if I'm under all these drugs? And so having that mental toughness, that that work ethic to go in and, and work out and do something and keep improving. And then whatever your piece is, whether it is reading, whether it is spirituality, whether it's your family, whatever it is, make sure you add that element to it so that you are being a fully funded, I'm sorry, a fully functioning and well-rounded individual. That's great stuff. Keep moving, basically. Keep moving. Keep, keep moving. moving forward. <laughs> just keep, just keep on going. Now, uh, among my high performers, it's around 50-50. We were, we're going to string together a, uh, a group of how all of you all have answered this question. But uh, it's, it's definitely not, uh, it's, it's not a trait of all high performers because so, I'm getting a 50-50 answer among all the 18, 19 people I've uh, interviewed so far. Mm -hmm. How well do you sleep? 
<laughs> I don't sleep well. I don't sleep well at all. Um, I've attributed this back to my years in, in combat areas. Um, I, I haven't slept well for years. And then coming out of the combat areas and then dealing with physical pain in my body also stopped me from um, sleeping well. And, and I'm glad you asked that question because for all of you out there that are high performers, understand that it's all connected. Um, your pain, your sleep, and your performance are all connected. And so if your pain is stopping you from sleeping, your sleeping is stopping your body from recuperating and rejuvenating, then you can't be a high performer because you're not functioning at your maximum. So one of the things that was very important to me was getting the pain under control, which was allowing me to sleep better, which was allowing me to rejuvenate, which improved my performance. It's You really have to pay attention to that. Um, I don't sleep well. Um, but what I do is I make sure that I put myself on a regimen. Um, I go to bed early. I'm, I'm in bed by eight. I'm asleep by nine. And then I'm up by two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I'm in the gym from three to four. I get my reading time and myself together from four to five. Um, shower, get to work by seven and, and start my day. And, and from what I've read, a lot of high performers have that type of routine. Um, when you create a routine for yourself, especially if you're reevaluating the routine to improve it for the things that you can add or things that you can change out to give yourself some flexibility or variety, but still sticking to a routine, it helps you in that ultimate performance, that sleep and that pain management. And, you know, there's always a lot of literature about waking up early, but I always said y'all are doing this backwards. To me, the discipline is getting yourself to bed early. Exactly. That's the, that's the discipline. Is exactly. turning, off the, turning off the Netflix and turning off everything and going to bed early. That's exactly. the real discipline. You know, yep. So I, I applaud you with that. Now, we're, we're in the home stretch here. What book beside the Bible do you recommend for entrepreneurs? So I, I talked about the E-Myth Revisited, um, but um, there's what I would say, and this is, is not dodging the question, but what it is, is whatever your area of expertise that you're trying to start a business in, find books that support best practices in that business. You want to understand not just how you think it should be, but how does this work in the industry? How is this? Um, what is the process? You know, what do I need to do? I tell people all the time, this is the most connected generation ever. And, and we are so connected. We walk around with a cell phone that can connect us to any information at any time. Don't take, don't take that for granted. You know, do the research, find out what it is you're trying to do. And one more thing, find a mentor, find someone who's already done it. What books do they recommend you to read in your area? You need to be very purposeful in reaching out in setting up a plan, whether that is, look, I'm gonna read this book for this week, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do this video. That's the other thing: Audible books and YouTube and all this stuff. There's just so much information out there. So for me, Emith Revisited helped me understand the different levels of on, uh, of entrepreneur technicians and managers and what they mean and what they do. But it also talks about, um, it it talks about McDonald's, right? Now, I don't think anyone that you would ever ask says that McDonald's is the most great tasting burger that you ever had. Nobody would tell you that. But McDonald's is the number one functioning restaurant out there. It's because they have found a process 
to take a not the greatest, but an acceptable level, put surrounded with people who are um, they give them a process on how to do everything. Here's this is what you need to do. This is how you do your job. And and so those people follow the process. It's not a great skill set. It's not anything, but they follow that process to the T and they make millions and millions of dollars from it. And so there's that whole understanding of how does this work? What do I need to do? There's there's a there's a concept that I'll touch on that I'm gonna tell you I have a hard pro I have a hard time with this concept. Um, but it says, do you need to do everything to 100 percent if 90% will get the job done, right? Are you wasting time with the other 10% because it would have been done at 90 and you can go on to the next thing? I'm not going to lie to you. I don't necessarily like this, but I do recognize the science in it. I do recognize what they're trying to say. So what, what I've been told is, you know, if McDonald's operates at a 70%, the 30% that they're not performing gets rolled over into the next task and keeps moving forward. So they're moving forward expeditiously to make things happen and they just keep it going. And so I, I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I, I'm going to tell you that the type of person I am, I like to put hundred percent into everything. I want to do everything to the best, the best I can. Um, but it's just a concept that, that you should research and see if it applies to something that you're trying to accomplish. Very good. Very good. The minimum, of, the minimum effective dosage. Correct? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, at uh, Becoming Disciplined, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas, spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, and home and data organization. Which one of these would you consider your strong points? And which, do you, and which of these do you believe could use some work? So I believe they all can use some work. But I will say that my strongest is emotional intelligence. And I think for a leader, emotional intelligence is a very understated quality. Uh, one of the things that I do with my team, um, I make everyone take the Myers-Briggs test. And those Myers-Briggs tests break down their personalities, what they like, what they don't like, how best to communicate with them. And then me as a leader, when I am talking to my team, I take a look at what their Myers-Briggs test so that I know how to best present the data that I need to get to them. And so that emotional intelligence piece is critically important. And, and when you talk to people how they want to receive it's so much more effective. It's, it's just, if I know I got a bean counter, then when I talk to them, I'm going to talk to them in numbers, in statistics, in facts. If I know someone that is a, a inspirational type person, then I'm going to talk to them in, in terms of inspiring things and why this is going to be great and the impact that it's going to have. If you know what they like or how they like to be led, then you as a leader can adjust to that. It's not cookie cutter. I don't lead every one of my team members the exact same way. That's, that's just not, it, it just doesn't work that way. But the emotional intelligence is an extremely important factor that I don't think gets a lot of credit. Um, if I was gonna say uh, the one that I need to work on the most, um, I, I touched on it earlier. I, I think I, I need to spend more time home and, and, and enjoying the food, fruit of my labor, spending time with my kids and my family and making sure that things are, um, or that we're enjoying this life that we work so hard to obtain. And so um, that I used to not like that term work-life balance. I was more of a work is life 
type person. Um, I think the military put that in me and, and, and I, I, I don't know if I turned it off when I handed in my, uh, my ID card. So, um, uh, but what I will also tell you is those those work ethics are are part of the reason why we've been so successful. So at some point, it's a, it is a um, self accountability measure where you know, in in my am I taking the time to enjoy the work, the fruit of my labor? Mm, good stuff. Good stuff. Now, uh, my second to last question: Can you tell me about? Uh, can you tell me about your company? You know, people would like to know more about your company and also your your where your heart's at, can you share with you, share with us about your not-for-profit? Absolutely. So uh, G-Cubed Enterprises is a cybersecurity and IT GovCon. We are an 8A um, company. If, if you're in the government, you, you know what that is. Uh, we are ISO 9000 certified, ISO 20000 certified, CMMI level three for dev and services. Uh, we are the number one fastest growing um, IT company in Northern Virginia. We are the number five fastest growing company in uh, Northern Virginia. Uh, we've been on the Inc. Uh, Forbes Inc. 500, Forbes Inc. 5000. Um, we're on the, the uh, Veterans Top 100. Um, we, we've had great accomplishments um, in, in our company, in our short company history. Um, but all of those accomplishments truly come from a place of putting a group of people together that believe in the mission and execute uh, and take care of one another and everything that we do. Um, it, it, you'll, you'll find out another note to you entrepreneurs, the people you surround yourself with are the people that are going to help you carry the load. Um, so it, it's all in who you build your team with. Those people um, are critically important. So I could do nothing without my team. And the success of G-Cube is not just me. It is by every person um, that wears a G-Cube logo, that carries a G-Cube mission, and that executes a G-Cube contract. We, we greatly appreciate it. Um, and now to, to what you said, anyone that knows me knows that um, we make money in G-Cube to support my nonprofit habit. Um, everybody wants to uh, have a nonprofit and the, the goals and the, the reasons they establish them are noble and, and uh, it, it's all great stuff. Um, but what I've learned personally is that um, when you start a nonprofit to have funds and money to run the nonprofit, depending on, um, depending on grants and depending on donations and all that, it's a hard thing to do to, to maintain an operating budget when you're depending on everyone else to give you something. So what we've done is uh, G Cubed makes a donation to our nonprofit, and then that donation um, is what uh, funds the operations, it funds all of our programs. We have veteran transition programs, we have youth mentorship programs, STEM programs, um, entrepreneurship programs, and we run all of that through our nonprofit to go out and be impactful in our communities. And so it is from the money that we make that we're able to keep that nonprofit operating and functional and impactful in the community. So I'm very, very proud about that structure and the things that we've accomplished. That's, that's really encouraging. Uh, I recently, uh, uh, I teach a Bible study and I constantly tell them, I say, hey, listen, I I was a little misled because in the early 2000s, I was very hardcore against uh, prosperity preachers and uh, and I was really against it. And I was you know, really uh, almost almost, you know, uh, 
I was virulent against these prosperity preachers. But now as I've gotten older, um, and especially when you started talking about the money, uh, you know, uh, earlier when you start, started talking about how the money is needed, uh, you know, tooling, tooling resources in the African-American community in order to, to make that difference. Uh, I'll just share this. As a kid, I wanted to go into politics, but then I realized that the politicians were told what to do by the businessman. Oh, yes. And then I went into religion. And then as I studied religion, every whether it was a cult or whether it was a, a real religious movement, every religious movement had to have someone funding it. You know, every major religious movement had to have. Paul had a, a woman by the name of Lydia yep. you know, who, who funded the early church. So uh, that's why um, that's why I have been seeking entrepreneurship in the last three to four years, because it's really if you want to. If you want to move your ideas, you have to. You have so to do it. understand this. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is evil. Right. Money is necessary. We have to get, we need money to do things. And I get asked on a regular basis, are you running for office? Are you doing all this to get a political advantage? No, I'm not. I'm doing this because I believe in it. But understand that that doesn't mean that I don't play politics. My role in politics is to make as much money as I can and buy the change that I want to see. I'm going to write the check to the person that's going to make the changes that I want to see. So our, that, that's what I mean about our people having an economic uh, power base that we can start being impactful in politics by stroking a check. Because if you look at minorities and you're competing against everybody else, the more money those other people can be. It's why I'll go a step further. It's why corporations are so important because corporations can run large, can earn large amounts of money and stroke a check to move businesses in the way that they want politics to go. If we don't have those businesses, those corporations, then how are we stroking a check to make things move the way we want to go? That is, that's, oh. Yeah. And uh, ironically, right before he passed, that's that's what Dr. King had moved into. And, uh, you know, right before he was assassinated, that's what he was really pushing into. And then, you know, uh, and, and it it kind of always it kind of made me pause. It was like, oh, he was on to something. That's why, you know, he that's why he was taking moving out. Your, moving your money into black owned banks and that's moving right. your money in the places where black entities or minorities had control power and influence that's what he talked he said if you want to make change let your money make that change that's right that's right so uh mr green we can't thank you enough for coming on you didn't have to do this you didn't need to do this we truly appreciate you uh we want to give you the last word i want to give you some thoughts about our audience our audience is typically people from 30 to 55 who are trying to improve themselves, trying to get better, trying to become more disciplined, trying to be better versions of themselves. Some are entrepreneurs, some are in the government, some are still in the military. And uh, we just want to give you the last word for our audience. Any closing thoughts that you have for them? Absolutely. Um, it starts with a, a goal. One of the things that I'd love to do with, especially with young people is, inspire them. If you can inspire them to want something, whether it's money, whether it's cars, whether it's houses, whether it's, it's, it's fame, fortune, whatever it is, if you can inspire them to want it and they, and they plant that seed that, okay, I want that. Now let me tell you how to get it. 
and you create this, you go find a checklist. We do this with um, a lot of our um, uh, older mentorship programs. Like if you tell me you want to be a program manager, we're going to Google what's required to be a program manager. We're going to make a checklist. We're going to put a timeline on each of those tasks. And now you have a roadmap to get where you're trying to go. So if you're trying to improve yourself, if you want, if you have a goal in your mind and you are inspired to achieve that goal and you create that checklist and you start putting a time allocation to each one of those tasks, if you keep doing what you're supposed to do and you will look up and see that you have accomplished that goal. So I implore you and I encourage you, whatever it is you want to do with your life, whatever makes you happy, whatever you're trying to accomplish and achieve, create that list figure out what it is you need to do and get to work at making it happen. If you were as inspired and impressed by Mr. Vernon Green Jr. as we were, please check out his corporation at gcubeinc.com and also join him in his philanthropic efforts. It's, it's really gonna turn heads.